honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in. Hello and welcome to Comics in Motion Book Club. This month we are going to tackle Art Spiegelman's Mouse, and I have a plethora of guests from the Comics in Motion family. So... I am going to introduce them in a particular order. I'm going to start because this is the first time we've had a chance to chat. So I'm going to introduce Rhea. Welcome uh, to the show, Rhea. Hi. I was dreading being first. I was like, do I need to do a little speech? I've not prepared. I've come to this with no notes, just all the thoughts in my head. So good luck, everyone. Well, luckily, I speak to Chris uh, as my co-host <laughs> every week, and he never comes with any chuffing notes. So that is absolutely fine. <laughs> I should have probably given you a heads up before we started recording, shouldn't I? <laughs> Next, I'm going to introduce Paul. What's up? Who's it's looking me. very divine, I have to say. I am. <laughs> you know, missing a treat here, everyone who's listening. It's, uh, I am basically either God or being abducted. One of the two. <laughs> Jesus being abducted. That's where he went. Oh, it is. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Next, of course, you've just heard him. It's Mike Burton. The, the loudmouth one of the group, <laughs> except when Chris is about, I'm kind of like on par. <laughs> when he's not about, I'm the fucking loudmouth. So yeah, uh, to warn everyone, and uh, because they want me to say it, tr- there's going to be a trigger warning here, guys. Saying in the happiest voice introing, but there's some really serious dark themes in here, and there's probably going to be a lot of swearing. <laughs> so guys, yeah. <laughs> so if you are not into uh, swearing, or you're triggered by the Holocaust, or any such things, I suggest you exit stage left, because there's going to be a lot of talking about Nazis, fascism, and there's probably going to be a lot of expletives as well. Now, last but not least, I have Mr. Tony Farina. Hello, hello. I, I, you and I have been, we've been teasing this for two years. Um, yep. This was one of the first ones that was on my short list of 10 when I th- started Indie Comic Spotlight. And we both kept saying, like, that's such a downer, just the two of us talking for an hour and a half. So I'm glad we're doing it this way, where there's more voices, not just us sobbing into our group downer. So we're yeah. down. <laughs> down. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, what I want to do, I want to go around the table and find out what everyone's kind of backstory is to this book. And so I'll go in reverse order to the introduction. So I'm going to start with Tony. What is your kind of history with this book? Well, um, I used to teach it, actually. Um, I mean, I'm just as a comic reader, it's one of those things that came up. You know, it won the Pulitzer Prize. That's how it got my attention. I did not read Raw magazine, which is where this was originally published, Art Spiegelman. Um, so I just was aware of it in college. And then when I started teaching young adult lit um, to future high school teachers, I taught this book. Um, so that'll come up throughout, throughout this conversation. I actually um, had a student had this book confiscated from her at TSA because they thought it was too dangerous to have on an airplane. Totally true. And she's like, but wait, it's an assignment. I'm reading it on the plane. And they're like, you cannot have that book on the plane. 
It was right after 9 11. Totally true. Yeah, oh, and, and so, sorry, for my benefit, what's TSA? Oh, oh, the it's the it's our like uh, the travel safety administration. So like right, when you go right. through security at an airplane, the scanners and gropers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the scanners and gropers. That's yeah. it. The scanners and gropers took this away from her. So she flew to where she was going, bought another copy, and then had to mail it back to herself. I'm really interested. Did they think the book itself was dangerous? Isn't the physical book or the ideas within the book were dangerous? Yeah, sitting on a plane <laughs> with a. With, uh, swastika on the cover around it's probably the swastika isn't it (laughs) it. i mean i almost i I used to have a it sounds bad a hitler t-shirt which was it said hitler's world tour on it Uh, my dad got now this is taking it i haven't got it i I think i got rid of it because i looked briefly earlier and i was like i'm pretty certain i got rid of it when i moved my dad bought it for me and it says hitler's world tour and it's got all the dates where he invaded places and then it says england cancelled and the last date is a is a german bunker It was quite. Wow. A, you, you can't wear that out in public because <laughs> it gives it gives people yeah. a very very wrong idea of me poking fun at all those horrible atrocities. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, from a very specialist good. shop. Yeah, yeah. It's, like, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's a good thing I didn't wear it or own it anymore because I don't want that. You can see it right on the front of it, and it's like I would have offended people before even pressing record. Yeah, so. that would have done it. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, so so there's well, that. And um, the other thing is, I did mention this in our Discord chat. My, my youngest daughter actually read this in third grade um, as part of, like, you know, she was a, a reading ahead, and they said she could read whatever she wanted and, like, take tests on it. And uh, she read this, and they were like, huh, really? And so she aced the test because she read it. She loved it. Um, uh, she was like, this book says shit in it. I'm like, I know, I said it. <laughs> okay. That's your takeaway? <laughs> yeah, I know. Of all the <laughs> but no, it was not her takeaway. But anyway, so that's so this book has been important. Um, you know, to me, it's a, it was a great learning tool. And that'll come up as, as I think as we go. So um, to me, I think using something like this to teach history to high schoolers I wish this was required reading in every high school history class because I think mm. it would it would yeah. do more than just reading, you know, like Mike's Mike's shirt, I get the joke because I know what <laughs> it's about, where most people aren't going to get it. But if they read this, maybe they'd be like, oh. So anyway, that's somehow my somehow think the TSA definitely would confiscate. They would say <laughs> ship no I, shirt. I would get arrested yes. wearing that top. One hundred percent. Talk about getting groped. Yeah, there would have been a body cavity search. Yeah. For sure. Yep. Rubber glove for sure. Now, next, I'm going to come to yourself, Mike. Bizarre. Um, so I I had peripherally heard of this uh, book. Funnily enough, I spoke to someone plugging my own show already, Mike. Yes, I am plugging my own show immediately. First thing I say, um, I spoke to someone called Francesca Rianon, and she has a podcast called The Writer's Voice that's ace, and she talks to authors and stuff. And she actually said the only or the first comic she ever read was Art Spiegelman's Mouse. When she was on my show, she mentioned it, and I was like, I recognize that name from somewhere. And then when the buzz started happening in Discord chat about it, then I was like, I swear I've seen this somewhere. And I spoke to Megan, and she apparently had it, but she thought she threw it out. And so I was like trying to find it online somewhere. And then I found just randomly while looking for something else in our wardrobe, it was hidden in the back this and it was actually owned by her old english teacher that lent it to her she's never read it i had to peel the sticker of the teacher off the back i'm not gonna name just in case they're listening <laughs> it's not yours whoever it is um and yeah so that the story is i vaguely knew about it and because of this book club i read it um 
I started reading on holiday probably about a month ago now. And <laughs> I keep reading. I'm like, this is really interesting. I'm really good. Then you get to a certain point and you're like, I need a little bit of time <laughs> to yeah. process. Uh, that, that time was about two weeks <laughs> yeah. between the last reads. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Now, Paul, how about yourself? Yeah. Well, hello. I am super dummy, Paul. Wouldn't it be great? If I had read this before, wouldn't that blow everyone's mind? Um, <laughs> but yeah, never Absolutely. even heard of it, oh. um, unfortunately. So this is my first foray into this. I hadn't even heard of it before. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. So book one, I have now read through twice to try and get my head around it. Hasn't really worked. Um, and then I started on book two. My dad definitely wasn't helping my mind. So let's... We'll, we'll stick there because my brain is currently about five miles behind me. <laughs> I, I thought book two was going to be more chill. As I finished book one, I was like, that was heavy. Right. On to book two. I should yeah. be a bit brighter. <laughs> it's not. Spoiler alert. No. It's much worse. <laughs> I like the fact that you got to the end of book one. And you thought, oh, maybe things will look up from here. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're gonna, like, but there's a lot of backstory and stuff. Happened. And then when it starts, yeah. you're thinking, oh, maybe it's just going to go into his relationship with his dad a bit more. And then you're going to kind of get the end of the story. It's like, oh, no, no. no. I mean, that does happen, there. but no, up to the last page. But anyway. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's great to have you along, Paul. And give us that fresh perspective as well yeah fresh or about... blank look it's going to be one of the two <laughs> yeah <laughs> it'll be just like a super dumb, uh, superhero for dummies episode basically yeah <laughs> uh ria how about yourself so i have always known of mouse in the comic book world so it's always been there always been in the background um I've mentioned on another podcast how i used to steal my brother's my eldest brother's comic books and i moved in with him and his wife for a little bit and you know it was always there on the shelf always knew about it picked up had a flick through never read it because you know nazis holocaust a bit depressing and then a good few years ago attempted to read it got about halfway through went this is just too depressing i'll pick it up at a later time and of course never ever picked it up and just decided this was the right time for the uh for the book review book club to read the whole thing in about a week whilst, you know, feeling a little bit depressed about the world because everything's on fire oh, and having no sleep because my toddler's not sleeping. So, oh, no. you know, overall, <laughs> a bit depressed. Not You're in lie. a cheery mood that <laughs> <Yeah>. I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, that's that's the power of mouse, right? That's why it's so good. Yeah. Depressing yeah. people, but, you know, the, the, the themes in it, that's why it's so powerful because how often... It's not what we're talking about right now, but how often do you read a book that's got that, that gives you that sort of complete and utter visceral reaction to it of going, mm. I need to put this mm. down. It doesn't happen. So I'm, I guess I'm pleased that I've read it. Um, mm. And I probably would go back to actually for a second read uh, fairly soon. Actually, I wouldn't leave too much time between, between it because leaving that time between the first half of a read and then doing a proper one, I mean like literally years, maybe 10 years or so. I think it, I think you need to read again, much like when you watch a film and you go, I have to watch it again to take everything in, to see the twists and turns, all of those sort of things to really appreciate the art style. So I think I'm probably going to pick it up again fairly soon. I don't know what that says about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it could could be cheery that, you know, life's not that bad. Um, <laughs> well, it's, no, I think it says more about the book, though. Yeah, I don't think it says anything about you. I think it, yeah. it yeah, says everything yeah. about what Spiegelman does here, um, that, that you, you're that way. I mean, if it's, it's only because it's 
while it's depressing and all those things, it's that good. It's not like it's depressing and trying to make you feel shitty about yourself. Mm. It's, it's, it's like, like you said, Dave, it's like things aren't that bad. It's like when things are down, listen to a Smiths album and then you'll feel a little better because nothing <laughs> is as bad as the way Morrissey yeah. thinks his life is. I think you'll find Morrissey is cancelled, so... I'm sorry. Oh, that, was, that was why I was making that face. I was making that face because the Smiths is the only band on the planet that I can't stand. Yeah, because they're I, shit. It, the voice yeah, it's just, not the only one, to be fair. Yeah, it's oh, just, no, all the bands are inspired. All, all the bands are inspired by them, like Placebo and other weird voice people. Love them. But the Smiths just cuts through me like a knife, and not an emo knife that you want to feel emotion, like a sad <laughs> knife of slow butter. Like I also a blunt that, knife. Yeah, a very, very blunt, boring knife. Um, I, I forgot to say in my intro, one thing, and it, um, what Ria said reminded me, is I wrote down, I've only got about five pieces of notes, but I want to read this because I thought it just sums up the book a little bit, and it kind of connected with the cruel, the, the sort of sadness and stuff. And I've written Mouse, a story about people, colon, desperation, luck, and unfathomable cruelty, illustrated with mice. That's kind of how I feel. That sums wow. it up for me. It's right. like it's very, very, very sad. <laughs> but since straight advice. No, that's very good. I, I feel like we're missing Max though. You know, to put some real sprinkles on the uh, on the introductions and stuff. Um, I'll just say, so I, I read this for the first time around 2009, 2010-ish. I'd taken a break from comics and kind of got back into them slowly around 2008-ish. And I remember just Googling, like, what are the best graphic novels? Because I didn't want to just go DC and Marvel. I, I wanted to read some independent stuff. And this one just came up there, and I had no idea what it was, which, if you look at the cover, it's a bit silly because there's a massive swastika on there. But I was kind of blind to it, and I was just in a, a, a Waterstones and just saw it there, and I thought, oh, right, I'll, I'll pick that up. Again, no idea what it was at all and started going through it. And the art style and stuff is a bit like Maisie Mouse, isn't it? And so it's like, ah, oh, mm. this, this is a bit odd. And then you get into it. And what you said earlier, Mike, and, and also yourself here, I had to stop reading it many times through the book because and we can get into it. But the blend of this kind of cartoony style that it's got it abstracts you from real life, but occasionally you snap back and you think you're thinking about Jesus Christ, these are real events. And that's when you have to sort of, or I have to stop and just take a little bit of a break from it. But, um, yeah, it, it's one of my favorites. I, I, I'd be tempted to say in my top three, uh, it's not one that I can keep going back to, uh, because it does, take an emotional toll you know for for me and and so i just i give it a while and actually i, I was trying to remember tony i'm sure we talked about mouse because when you started up indie comic spotlight and i suggested it i was like oh i gotta talk about mouse but i'm sure lockdown started to happen like very soon and it's like you know what maybe not right now <laughs> no totally i think that's what it was it was just that because you came, I mean, the very first show is I Killed Giants, which again, isn't yeah. super happy. You know, somebody, <laughs> spoiler alert, um, that doesn't have the happiest of endings either. But it was, um, I think that was just it. I, I think it was like, well, we'll, like, we'll get to it. And we kept teasing it. And, but ultimately, it was on the first list of 10. Like, we got to do this. But I just think you're right. It was lockdown. And it, I think this is a better forum 
with a mm-hmm. group of voices as opposed to just two of us. I know that like when we would have the course, the class discussions, having 15 people in a room talking about it, it helped people, uh, I think, articulate the way, the way they feel. Because like both Mike and Rhea have been saying, it's just sad. It's sad, sad, sad. And Paul, you were saying like your mind is five miles behind mm-hmm. where, your, where your heart is. And so I think having a group setting for something that's this powerful is more important than, so, you know, not that you and I couldn't have done it justice day, but I think this is a better fit just because yeah. we need, we need to not just, again, I think we could go down some really dark places or it could just turn into um, the very first episode of Genuine Chit Chat I listened to plug the very first episode, is it okay to punch a Nazi? So I think the answer we discovered was yes from that show. But also, Dave, I think that would, it would have turned into that, just you and I being like, fucking Nazis. And it would have just been that. So I think we'll have a better conversation with more, more voices anyway. Absolutely. And we are actually missing one voice. So one, uh, unfortunately, to get us all together at one time was impossible. And we ended up having to, one person had to miss out. And that is Jack. But we are going to hear from him if I can just get myself in order here. Evening all. Jack here. Vacation in a different time zone. Good afternoon, good morning, and good night. I'm disappointed I can't be there to take part, but I'm really excited to hear your discussion on this masterpiece as a fan. I've obviously shown my hand there, but really, could you think anything else of this transcendental comic by Art Spiegelman? I found it difficult to coalesce my thoughts about this book into something worthy, so what I thought I'd do is state the obvious, then point out some of my most memorable panels and moments from across both parts. The obvious. This comic should be read by everybody. It elevates the medium and should be one of the first arguments made when anyone ever incorrectly disparages the art form. Everyone raves about how deep and dark Schindler's list is, and rightly so. This is that too, and arguably more. I'm an English teacher in my secret identity day job, as you all know. This is one of those texts that should be on a curriculum, whether it be English or history. As a worthy Pulitzer Prize winner, I'm sure it is studied, but it should be accessed by all. We teach Shakespeare, we teach Steinbeck, we teach Orwell. Why not Spiegelman? It's obviously not an easy read, as it shouldn't be considering the subject matter. On this reread, perhaps only my second, I found myself torn between wanting to keep reading and wanting to take a break. You want to read on because the story is so compelling. You want to read on so you can get past the truly harrowing sections. You want to take pause to process the gravity of what you're reading. You want to take pause to take a breather. Cleverly, Spiegelman layers in welcome moments of levity between himself and his father during the framing device contemporary chats. To begin with, it puts in mind the Princess Bride. Obviously, the tone changes and the narrative goes in a different, darker direction pretty swiftly, though. These modern-day moments increase as the book continues, so we can start comparing Artie's present-day woes These damn bugs are eating me alive! with Vladak's improbable story of survival. This is one of my most memorable moments arriving around three quarters of the way through the 296 page book. It is one among many. They range from sweet to sorrowful, such as the final panel on page 25, as Artie makes a promise not to include intimate details from Vladek's life. Details we've just finished reading. Such as the run of four panels in the past on page 124, as Vladek consoles Artie's mother Anya about their predicament, 
with Spiegelman choosing to frame the pair ever closer until together they fill the frame with nothing else in their world except each other. The next image jumps back to the present as an aged Vladek looks mournful in his recollection and is without frame as he can no longer share it with his dearly departed Anya. Such is the single striking panel on page 127 as Vladek and Anya reach a crossroads in their attempts to flee Nazi imprisonment. Crossroads drawn in the foreshadowing shape of a swastika. Has there ever been a better example? I'm sure you don't tell. Such as one of the most powerful scenes from Auschwitz depicted on page 187, as Vladek describes how he never saw his friend Abraham again, but presumed he came out of the chimney, with it looming large, spearing forth thick black smoke in the background. How such a simple sentence and imagery can be so harrowing. Such as the merging of fiction and reality on page 239, as the disturbing images of war that must stay with Vladek every single day permeate through into contemporary society, almost blending into the background. And many, many more. The whole endeavour is so perfectly paced, with details slowly revealed to the reader, in order to match Artie's own journey and understanding his father and his tics and his traits. It culminates in a heartbreaking final page that couldn't possibly fail to move each and every single reader. As I'm quite sure you were all in the midst of discussing. That was yeah, awesome. He's, I guess he's destroyed just... anything I was going to say. Jesus yeah, well. He must say more in four minutes than I've said probably in the last four weeks. Yeah, no, it was very, <laughs> very good. I mean, I think, can we just pick one part? And, and if people want to pick other parts of what Jack said there, but he makes the point that it should be read by everyone. This thing should be taught yeah. in schools. And and I think, Tony, you, you mentioned that earlier as well. So I'm going to pick on Paul. What what do you think, Paul? Yes, is basically Very the short good. answer. Because <laughs> <laughs> <It, laughs> a lot of the times when I was reading this, uh, it actually reminded me of some of my history lessons. And my history teacher was obsessed with uh, The World at War, the TV series. And we watched that whole series once or twice through um, in the space of a couple of years with her. Um, and now it's not exactly children's material, mm. but it's just the truth of what happened in a way that tries to explain it. And this is the exact same thing. It's, it is what happened and it's presented to you in a way that makes it almost, I don't don't know what the the best word to say is, but you can consume it easier in this format because there is no easy way to sort of take all this in. Um, but yeah, yeah, it is a part of history that everyone needs to know about. And, and I, I love World at War as well. I think it's brilliant. I've not watched it for a few years now, but I feel like that tells the the strategic story of the war and all the different battles that were going on. Whereas this book is a very human story, isn't it? It's about yeah. people and what was going on around them at the time. And so it's a completely different perspective. And, and I think it's great. I'm going to come to you, Mike, as well. And, and I don't know if you want to pick up any other uh, parts from what Jack said there, but I know this is your first time reading through it as well. So I wanted to get that kind of, what do you think about what Jack said there? Yeah, I mean, he put it, as I said, in a much better way than I probably could. Uh, mine's normally a rambly mess. It sounded very specific and well done. Um, yeah, obviously, I think this should be taught. You know, I think that's kind of, we all unanimously agree with that question. It should be, I think, 
maybe not in this discussion, but an interesting topic would be what sort of age, uh, because I think that kind of bouncing off what Paul said is that it's kind of like when you watch certain, a really bad example, when you watch like Pixar movies or Disney movies, there's like little innuendos in there, like sex jokes that kids won't get at all but the adults get and it kind of makes it for everyone this kind of is almost the opposite where it's like because it's in the format of you're not watching human remains and people getting slaughtered you're seeing and thankfully black and white drawings of um mice obviously and of you know cats and also pigs as well and i think there's a couple of dogs in there somewhere um so it's like i think that the format and the way it's made is done with a, it's like a perfect balancing act because i think that and it's kudos to Art Spiegelman because I think if you, if you met, if it was one percent more cartoony or more, for lack of a better word, juvenile in a sense, if it was any more like that, it would almost take away from the story somewhat. While simultaneously, if it was too real, if there was color, for example, because when I first started reading this, I was like, oh, it's not got color. That's a shame. I, I am a spoiled millennial, so I wanted things with color. And then after you get, you know, a few chapters in, you're like, I am so goddamn glad this doesn't have color in it. Oh my God. <laughs> it's, it's just, and I, I think that all of those things sort of culminate together. Um, and I think one of the things as well is that, you know, obviously it's a depressing tale, but because it's so brilliantly interwoven, as Jack kind of pointed out with, uh, is it Vladek's um, life and things, and obviously mm-hmm. Art's life, because it's intertwined in that way, it kind of does give you a bit of a breather, even though I feel like I still needed a breather after reading certain elements. It's not just, you know, for to be kind of a blunt, Holocaust, Holocaust, Holocaust. It's kind of like, okay, here, here's a bit of background information, and intertwined with that, you got to see how those events have affected someone in today's life. And I think it does it very cleverly, where it's like you can see elements of why Vladek is the way he is. And you can see Art seeing that and understanding him, but also still struggling to deal with it. Being like, I understand why you're like this. I understand why you're acting this way because you went through all that stuff. That doesn't necessarily mean that you can act however you want. And that's it. Because you've been through horrible atrocities, you can do whatever you want. That's not quite how it is. But you see as the the novel goes on that he becomes more and more sympathetic. And then obviously where book two the second chapter of book two sort of starts, it explains, you know, uh, I, th- I assume that people assume we're going to spoil the hell out of the book, but obviously Vladek dies uh, while art is kind of making these and things. So it's very interesting having that element as well. So I just think it's one of those, maybe one in a million books where it's just every single element of it works so well to not only tell the story, but to also make it as kind of Paul was saying, you know, consumable by the masses in a sense. So I just think it's a balancing act beyond balancing acts, really, to have done it and executed it so well. And he doesn't sugarcoat that relationship with his dad either, does no, he? No. He, no. he really, you know, and he's he's a bit nasty in some places as well, you know, and I'm sure he regrets that. And I respect later that. From, on. Obviously, yeah. in my past, and when I spoke about, God, yeah. I if I can plug for myself, when I spoke about with my brother <laughs> about my dad, we specifically didn't just say, my dad was perfect. I, you know, I loved him and he was the greatest thing ever. It wasn't that. And when I read this, I respected the fact that. You know, I'm in the mindset where even if someone passes away, you should try and be optimistic about them. You should try and be generally nice and honor their memory. But that doesn't mean you glaze over everything and act as if they were a saint when they're not. And I did appreciate that personally as well. Yeah, 
I've got something to say about what you said there, but I want to come to yourself first, Rhea. What, what did you think of what Jack said there? Must be a bit weird. <laughs> it is a bit weird. Um, I do want to say something first, though, which is I would say, I wouldn't say I disagree, but I find the breaks where Art is talking to his father actually a lot more relentless and a lot more difficult because for me it shows that everything that happened to him has that impact and Art can't escape it. I'm going to butcher everybody's names and every pronunciation. Um, But, you know, I I find that his his father, he just can't escape what happened to him. And Mm. he carries that with him forever. And when he's then, you know, blaming Art for his mother's suicide, for Art having a a mental breakdown, um, you know, it's for me, I, I feel that my parents are great by the way but I feel that guilt coming down from the parents and art he can't escape it and he will forever live live with that and I feel that conflict in the book as well you know when it's the section when he's talking to his therapist and he's you see him as a small boy he's a small boy in the chair and his therapist is a grown-up you know he's never going to get out of the shadow of his oldest brother who died his elder brother who died or the shadow of what happened to his parents and the generation ahead of him and you know, I find I found those bits almost harder. I became somewhat desensitized. I mean, apart from in like the pacing is fantastic, but you know, when when um Vladek's talking about everything that happened, he's like, oh, and then I became a shoemaker and then I became this and became that. I became somewhat desensitized to it until like the big things would happen. Um it was when they took me out of it that I was suddenly having to continue to reflect on what had happened at Auschwitz to to Jewish people that I that's what I found really really difficult um so I, I find that really interesting you're like oh god it's a break we've got some complicated family relationships instead of mass genocide and I'm like oh mass genocide oh complicated family relationships they're the worst <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, um but yeah so what um Jack was saying I was thinking about it after we you were talking about it in the chat pool you were saying about history and I was thinking back to um so I'm 38 so I you know I did history at GCSE so a long time ago um and I was thinking what did I learn about World War II because World War II dominates British history massively we talk about it all the time more than any other sort of sort of um world history that we're taught in school and you know we're very introspective I remember my education around around World War II being very introspective. It's all about what happened in the UK, you know, the evacuees, the blitz, all of those sort of things. That it's so strange when you read something like this and you think this is the important history that should have been taught. This is the history that's actually we need to learn from as the human race. Sure, the blitz was awful. You know, people going to the front line, that was all awful. But it feels like, and hopefully how we teach history has changed, but it feels like that nub of why this all happened and why we had to go to war is sometimes lost. You know, I re- I recall being taught about, you know, and this happened and Hitler did this, oh, so we had to go and invade. But it wasn't because he was exterminating human beings just for not being what he considered were real human beings. And it is crazy. Like, Jack's so right. You're also right. We're also right. It needs to be taught. And I can't remember which one of you said it. I'm so sorry. I should have taken some notes. Is, you know bringing in that that single human element that's what's important and that's the important storytelling here 
I agree. So I, I'm a little bit older, and I don't remember learning anything about the World War, uh, either one or two, uh, in school. So all of my knowledge of the World War uh, growing up was learned by things like uh, Blackadder Goes Forth, Dad's Army, you know, and, and other xenophobic attitudes of adults you hear around you, what other kids say. And it was incredibly xenophobic, to be quite honest with you. And it was only when I got older, and actually I, I think at university, I, I started to meet some German uh, students and started uh, chatting to them and realized, oh, wow, you're just like us. You laugh, you joke, you like a beer. All these things that I'd been taught as a kid growing up were just complete and utter bollocks. And then you go on that journey and you realize, well, how come? The, and you look at the the Brits, especially, you know, we, we are pretty much German. You know, the Angles and the Saxons, okay, the, the uh, Scandinavians came over later. We've got a big French influence as well. But, uh, you know, we're just not that different. So how can you go from this incredibly progressive, uh, thriving nation to basically uh, the empire? from star wars there you go mike star wars reference um it's it's bonkers and you're right this this is the stuff that people need to understand and and know about how people because hitler doesn't appear here hitler's not doing anything none of the you know the top generals or anything this is about normal people and what they've ended up doing uh when a different race or religion of people uh is completely dehumanized it's uh yeah <laughs> there you go drop the mic <laughs> i want to add in here um just to talk about my education because i think sorry guys i'm the youngest one here um, <laughs> um so i was uh i was in school in the early 2000s when i learned sort of about gcse history and stuff and we did learn about world war ii uh, and i as you guys are going to point out, you know, you learn about what the English did, you know, we learn about the kids being sent off for this and that. And I remember asking in class, I was like, cause I, I think I, my dad was really into history and stuff. So I knew bits and pieces from him. And I seem to recall something like me asking, Oh, do, Oh, so the Holocaust, that's why we got into the war and stuff. We want to stop the Jew extermination. And they were like, no, that's not, that's not why we got involved in the war. And I'm like, and this is when I was like, you know, 15 or something. I was like, I'm sorry. You knew that there was a whole race of people being exterminated. For, as, as well as you know i know it's not the main point but there's also disabled individuals and there were i think uh, black individuals as well like basically anyone who wasn't you know the specific aryan uh race you know blonde hair blue eyes ish um and i was just like well, why is that and you learn about the geopolitics and all these other things but it's still like this none of these are good reasons you're just the fact that we knew it was happening and we basically did nothing until really we were like oh don't do that hitler oh no okay no, no don't do this one now oh he's done that well don't do that one and eventually we're like, oh we can't let him get away with that thing can we right let's go sort it out instead of being like something bad's happening we should stop it at the start or the end and i think one of the most upsetting things so i'd make about today is i was thinking that sort of stuff could never happen today and then you look at today and you go oh fuck <laughs> if anything we're probably closer now than we were 20 years ago which is yeah really upsetting and really scary in so many ways so yeah i agree i i 
said it a few times. I, I think fascism is the easiest thing to fall into when things aren't going well, when the economy's bad, when people aren't feeling good about themselves and where they are in life is quite easy. And then you get some charismatic leader singling out a particular type of people saying all of your problems are uh, from over there. And, and, you know, you get people focused on that. And then you talk about building a wall, you know, there you've just got a massive dictator, haven't you? <laughs> Tony must be desperate to speak. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just winding Tony up there. <laughs> it's, it's funny because, um, yes, I'm living in a, in a it's, the thing about America, America is that um, we're technically, we're not a fascist country, but fascism is alive and well here. And we are a country that allows it to happen. Our constitution allows fascism to exist. That's the whole point is you can say whatever you want. You, you know, freedom of speech, freedom of all this stuff, freedom of press. You can make a website, you can put shit up online and say whatever you want and brainwash people. And that's totally allowed. So the problem with that is, is that our founding document was written with the idea that people were going to be smart enough to know what was shit and what wasn't. And of course, History has proven that they aren't. And that's why this is such an important book. Everything that you guys have all said is absolutely true. And the reason that I taught it, so I taught teachers. So it was young adult lit, but the only people who were taking it were future high school teachers. So the age range I was targeting was high school. I, of course, handed it to my third grader, but I'm saying you should be reading this and, you know, to an eight-year-old, but I'm saying you should read this in high school because it is my contention that everything that you guys just said is lost on people. The art, you know, art Spiegelman and art writ large is what we remember. So Jack mentioned um, Schindler's List. That movie did more for awareness of things than, than most other works of art, probably since Mouse. And so when it's, when it's a human story, when it's somebody you can relate to, when you can be like, I also get pissed off at my dad right? Rhea, you're like, yeah, I also, whatever. And so when you see it, when it's a person that you can see and who has a name and, and has a complex relationship with this kid, then hopefully somebody goes, oh, this shit's bad. And then when they see fascism in the wild, they recognize it. Um, because just learning about it in an abstract doesn't make any sense. What you were saying, Mike, I mean, I mean we all know that the wrong two people, like abdication was a big part of why England, you know, if, if, if you don't switch kings and you don't switch prime ministers, World War II is, a total, is not a war as much as it is Hitler con conquering Europe. And so it does take a couple of brave people. And so not that, it, you know, not just the movie versions of Churchill and the movie versions of, of the king of Elizabeth's dad, whose name is eluding me. Sorry, British people. Albert? Albert was the one. Her in dad. Okay. Oh man, I'm so okay. wrong. So, so okay. Edward, King Edward abdicated. Abdicated, was, right. Yeah. Yes. Okay, yes. And then so, Albert ended up taking so, over. So if it weren't for him and it weren't for Churchill, and again, it's more than two people, but it takes somebody, it's still a person who says this is bullshit and who's, who, who smells the bullshit. And so to me, Mouse, the reason I, the way we, I taught Mouse was my students read it, we talked about it, and then I forced them to create lesson plans. How are you going to use this in your classroom so it was all applicable? So the stuff that they would come up with was humanizing, making other connections, doing family histories, doing different things so you can learn, and, you know, critical thinking skills. So 
You're so right, Dave. Fascism is so easy to fall into and where every day I see something else, but it's because we don't read anything because we don't read, we don't think. And so it takes art to remind us because history books are boring unless they're done in a right way. And uh, so to me, it's, you know, it's, it's like the most important of all of the World War II books. And I've read a ton. Codename Verity is great. This is excellent. I mean, there's, this is the most important one. This is the one, if you could only have someone read one World War II book, they should read Mouse because you will understand it's not just xenophobia. Like you were saying, Mike, it's like, oh, wait, you mean that wasn't it? And it was that. But, it, but the root of it is still evil. And, you know, what doesn't come up in here is how the Americans... FDR turned a whole ship of Jewish people away. They'd gotten out and were out a boat and off, off our shores and we wouldn't let them land. And that's heartbreaking. And that stuff, something was, I never learned in school. I learned that on my own. And so I think reading this, I hope, and I would ask you guys this, would read, does it have, now that you've read this, Paul and Mike, does this make you want to go learn? Do you want to read more stuff? Do you want to know more of what was happening? Does this pique your interest to the time frame, or is it just like, "Fuck, I'm so exhausted"? There's, I never want to think about it again. Uh, yeah, for me, I can't speak for Mike, obviously, but for me, uh, I, I think we've talked about it in the past, Tony. That um, you know, I love a bit of history and a bit of war history, so I do have this interest. But it's even for me, who's someone who has read some of it, it makes me want to go back again to fill in a lot of the gaps. Um, I think something you said that it doesn't take much to allow this to happen. I think it's interesting. I don't know if I'm reading too much into it, but the, obviously he has the choice of what animal each nation is, each nationality. And he chose for the Polish people to be pigs. Now we talk a lot about, sort of the people along the way that allowed all this to happen and every single stage like we've already said we didn't intervene earlier and i think that's part of the reason why it's not taught as much is because there is an inconvenience of the fact that we should have understood what was happening and it's like we we had the screams and we kind of said i'll keep the noise down and then we opened the door and found oh oh, maybe we should have stepped in there. And there's been a lot of talk over the years about the, the local people um, around all these camps. What, you didn't hear the screams? You, you didn't smell the smells? But it is, it's, it is unfortunately human nature that this can happen because each of us just kind of go, oh, we don't want to get involved. And we need to learn from these mistakes to stop it happening again yeah i think the the trouble is you can't talk about the second world war without considering the first world war as well yeah and i think we probably went into war too quickly at that point mm. for the first world war but then because of that you get the uh, quite often in life you get a pendulum effect don't you it's like oh we did that we know we shouldn't have done that. And then they go completely the opposite way as well. I mean, they'd already invaded like Czechoslovakia and everyone was like, Oh no, no, you shouldn't do that. And it was only when 
they went into Poland and, and that sort of forced the British hand. You know, I think we'd have still sat on the bench uh, if, if that hadn't have happened. Do you mean like everybody sitting on the bench as we watch Putin just take over that part of Ukraine? Like that, for example? Uh, 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 exactly like that. Fucking yeah. A. God damn it. I, as I'm reading this, I'm like that. I mean, this is, this is what I say all the time. I, I should have worn the shirt that says make Orwell fiction again. Here's the thing. This is not supposed to be a fucking playbook. Yeah. And, you know, and it's so frustrating when there's warnings and there's warnings. And I couldn't help but when I'm reading this again to think about where we currently are. And it's always Ukraine. It's always Ukraine. You go all the way back. Catherine the Great wanted Ukraine. I don't fucking let it go. God damn it. <laughs> it but it is the same thing again. And all those, all those people are like, hey, we've just been invaded by uh, what's, what's everybody doing? They're like, it's Eastern Europe. They're not an EU nation, so we just don't give a fuck. And it's so, like you said, they just invaded Czechoslovakia. Everyone would have been like, eh, it's fine. We're not going to They look the same. They're all the same. So we don't, you, it doesn't matter. It, they're, not, they're not close enough to us. There's still a few other countries in the way. So it's God, so fucking frustrating. Yeah, I think as as well as Poland. I mean, uh, the problem with Poland is it's right in between Germany and, and Russia, isn't it? You know, that's their big problem. But I mean, Obviously, this is all set in Poland, but you know the Ukrainians that you just mentioned there, Tony. I mean, there was some horrendous things that happened there that I had no idea. Again, not taught any of it in school. I only found out in recent years there was this thing called the Holodomor, where the Russians basically, you know, starved the nation, and it was crazy. And I was just like. How did we not know this? And again, I think we're deliberately not taught this because, again, they were our friends in the Second World War, weren't they? So it's convenient at that time. And then, obviously, the Cold War happened after that. But it was like, well, we, we kind of have to play nice for a while. I think a part of it as well is, unfortunately, that the, the normal way countries work is they prioritize themselves over everyone else, which for most instances does work it's just when you get to human rights violations everything gets hazy and the problem is is that i think we probably will i'm not trying to be the moderator we have to wrangle it back because i'm probably going to say something that's going to push out further but it's even like with you know the middle east you know it's just things like that where they are literally like especially women's rights they are destroying women's rights and they're like oh no we let let women drive now you know just ignore all this other shit it's like the reason we're doing that is because we have so much money invested in oil over there and weapons and all these other things. We're like, oh, it's kind of inconvenient if we have to say, yeah, we are selling weapons to people who are created, who are causing mass atrocities worldwide. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Russia's doing it. So, oh, yeah. North Korea. You know, but if we get involved in one of them, we have to get involved in all of them. And then if we do that, then we're going to get into another recession. What will our people think? And it's just all these layers upon layers of it's not it's not simple. I'm not trying to say it's simple, but it's layers of excuses as to why we can't get involved with other things. And the problem is with World War II was like, you know, we did just have World War One, you know, a few decades prior. We were completely bankrupt with tiny bits of, you know, getting on the wagon again. And then I think it was Chamberlain was just trying to avoid going to war with like any means possible because I think for him, he was trying to do what was best in his mind for the British people. But I think the problem is in some ways in our society is it's that whole thing, and it's illustrated in this book even, which is we're not English people and American people, we're just people. We're just, m- most people don't choose where they're like living. You're just born somewhere, 
And 90% of the people born there just stay there forever. It's That's just how it is. And I think it's illustrated sort of in this book on page 259, because Jack was so good with his references, um, where Vlad is in the sort of modern day, in air quotes, and Vladek sees what well, I think is a black individual. And he calls them a schwatzer, a schwatzer. Um, yeah, he calls that. And obviously it's a derogatory term for um, people of color and things. And it's like, and Art and I think, and his partner are saying like, how can you say that? You're racist. You know, how can you be like this against them when the Jews have it? And he's like, God, that's ridiculous. Don't even compare us to them. And it's, it's all this us versus them. It's always, oh, we'd have to worry about those people over there. Why? Well, because they're in that country, aren't they? So, but, but we're all just generally the same and we're just a product of our environments. And I think that this book, very cleverly so illustrates with obviously the different animals and one of my favorite parts about it as we're saying favorite part because it's so sad is the masks yeah because Rhea got it is when you watch him pretending to be a polish person and yeah. in the illustrations really subtly they're wearing a pig mask yeah and there's a couple of other things like that and i just think it's very cleverly illustrated in that way which it shows the literal racial divide at that time but also when it shows modern day it doesn't change that which i think is art probably saying people still view people on race. And although it's okay to somewhat see, you know, no one is colorblind, but people aren't actually different due to their race or anything. And I think that's one of the other points this book is making on why I was showing with Vladek. It was like, even someone who's been through something which is horrendous can still have racial tendencies and not understand the irony in the whole situation. It, so, it's, the, it's hypocrisy, isn't it? Yes. I'd say more than, more than irony. Mm-hmm. I was that that comes back to a question I wanted to ask everyone. So Vladek, I, I think I think you made the point, Mike, that you know he's he's kind of a product. I don't think you put it in those terms, but that was what it was in my head. He was almost like a product of the Holocaust. But when you saw Art talking to um, his kind of stepmother Marla, and she was saying lots of people were were in this, you know, they're not like him. So, so do we think his dad really was a product of what he went through or he was just something else as well? I think it's a mixture. I mean, obviously, we don't know him as a real life person, but I think you get from the book, from from his early life, you know, he's always been a bit of a grifter almost. He's always, you know, turned tricks. Um, God, that made him sound like a prostitute. That's terrible. Um <laughs> Um, you know, he's always he's always survived, right? That's the that's the key thing about his character. He had no money and he worked damn hard, got money, met his wife's family. He didn't just take their money, he made their businesses successful, right? And then when it comes to when he's when they get everything taken away, they get family members taken away, he's the one that's that's keeping them all alive by going out, going onto the black market, selling things, understanding what currency is as as the story goes along. And if I was to put myself in his shoes, I think I would, and I'm incredibly liberal, um, I do wonder if I would be like that as well. As I came out the other end, you know, they talk about, oh, you know, he saves bits of paper and he saves everything. He's like, well, that's $2 at the shop. Well, who cares if it's $2? Well, to him, that piece of paper is freedom. That's getting a message to his wife. That's getting a message to his cousin saying, you know, how do we get out of this? How do we do that? And I don't think you can unlearn that. Not without any active, say, therapy or looking at yourself, you know. And I don't think that means we should forgive him for his faults. But I think it's quite 
different to say when there's a generation, I would say, baby boomers in the UK who are very selfish and they're very, you know, oh, well, I got a house because I worked really hard. Like the rest of us haven't worked really hard and like the world hasn't changed around us. And I find it harder to forgive that generation, especially in the UK, because their hardships weren't that bad. Um, Because I think that they can do something to change it for the generations below them. Whereas I think with with Valdek, he he can't like it's so ingrained within survival and and just everything having values so ingrained in him that he can't see out of that. And sure, we're in 2021. Therapy is amazing, but back after after being in Auschwitz, nobody gave them, gave anybody therapy. Nobody said let's process everything that they went through, and they literally do that in the end of the book. You know, he gets marched out of the camp. They all get lined up next to a lake, think they're about to be shot, and then the Germans all piss off and left these completely. I mean, they don't care because they're terrible Nazis, but you know, these completely traumatized people just wander around countries to figure out where they're going. They then go to Sweden and then they come to the US. I mean, they are displaced people. You know, I just think there's something in you that's never going to get, you're never going to get over that. And I know that lots of people who, who coming to different countries feel that, you know, they feel like they are part of the country and it's important to them and they're part of that society, but there's always something in them that's back home and that they're never going to, lose that bit and it's important they don't lose that and again my thoughts gotten a bit away from me because I'm very excited about this book um but I don't think it makes you forgive him but I think it makes you understand him many of the things he says and does I think are atrocious but I I understand it it doesn't mean it's right I I definitely agree I I think he was a chancer wasn't he you know he he just made things happen and also what what I loved actually about how they stepped out uh princess bride style is you know before everything started going south he seemed like he was a bit of a ladies man as well and he wasn't just you know with Art's mum uh Anya and so, you know, he was relaying the story, but I couldn't help but feeling like the, the lady who, or the lady mouse uh, who was with before, I got the impression he probably didn't treat her very nicely. And so, again, it, it's all part of this, you know, art not really sugarcoating anything. It does seem a very honest, you know, bare bones. This is everything, you know, and, and it's just in a, a kind of cartoon style. I must admit, Vladek did remind me a bit of my dad, to be honest. That's why I was asking the question. (laughs) (laughs) And he hadn't been through the Holocaust. Obviously, I don't want my parents to die. Awful. But I can't talk about certain things about them until they do, because they're not going to like that. And so, you know, I I do like that about the book as well. I think Mike said it, that he doesn't sugarcoat it after his death. It all stays in there. And it should do because it's all really important. And it shows just because he he is a survivor, it doesn't mean that he's a perfect or even a good person. Mm. He's fully he's a fully rounded human being, and we're all good and we're all bad. And and I think that's really important to the story. I do find it interesting that the the way that he portrays his dad. If you if you read it, you can see it as very much leaning into the stereotypes. Um, which I find very interesting because he could have just steered away from that 
but he was as you say he was very honest about the way that his dad is and i think you're right i think you can read it in various different ways and i think it is showing that he's yeah he's probably wasn't a nice person to begin with but he is also you know certain ways because of what he's gone through and i think it's partly saying that because just generation after generation after generation of jewish people have gone through the same things so there is going to be certain ingrained things that pure survival that's the way that they have acted because that's the way they have to over the years and you know he is arguably beforehand probably not a very nice person but also that may have been as a consequence of the things that his parents went through and we saw a little bit of his parents as well um so i do find it very interesting that he sort of left it in there as the brutal truth gave a bit of context but then it also said he's always been like that but yeah probably to an nth degree you say about um what what they've been through so I love the art illustrations where they'd show like a coal bunker or something and you've got this mm. false wall and this tiny little space where basically they hide all day and try not to make a sound or anything. And again, uh, I don't know if you guys have been to like Anne Frank's museum in uh, in Amsterdam and that's an eye-opener as well. Um, but there's something about this cartoony art style as well and you just you can't even comprehend it living in such a tiny space i think one of the most interesting things uh, or one of the interesting elements uh, of this is that there's no hero when you start the book you think maybe vladek is gonna or you don't even consciously think that I, I when i read a book i don't think oh here's the hero here's the villain you know it's it's a, a book about the holocaust there's, there's millions of villains but i think the point is that he's not as, as you guys have kind of said, he's not a good person. He's not even necessarily a nice person, but he is a survivor. He, he's someone who's he's, it's almost like a, a pillar when a wave crashes against it in the sense of he's just someone who's gone through a historical event. It doesn't mean that he's a good person. It doesn't necessarily mean he's a bad person. This horrible tidal wave of atrocities happened and he just made his way through it. And this is the story of that. And it's like the inside view into these atrocities because, you know, obviously people can make a difference and stuff. That's not debatable. But one person couldn't stop a tidal wave, as an example. If you had thousands of people pulling things together to make a wall of some sort to stop it, well, they didn't need to do all these weird metaphors, then that's a slightly different way of looking at it. But I think with this, it shows that every time he managed to escape a horrendous situation, it was either because of luck or pity, or because he spoke English was quite a common thing, where it was just, he normally had something someone wanted. And so he could exchange that thing for his life for a day, for two days, for a week. And because of him being a grifter, and because of how he was beforehand, it helped him have the skills to get through it. And it shows, you know, he, he makes several friends and, uh, with either German guards or the French individual towards the end where, because he spoke English, which was quite a rarity, that gave him an edge. That made him be able to communicate with certain people. That allowed him to teach the German person who said, oh, you know, this day they're going to shoot everyone on the left, so just make sure you're on the right. Like, all these little elements of just, it is a very human story and it's his interactions with these people. And no one's a hero. And there are probably quite a few villains in this. But yeah, I just think it's, 
it's a survivor's tale. And I think actually, uh, looking at it, it's actually called A Survivor's Tale. Look at that mic drop. That's what, the, that's what it's called. <laughs> Boom. Sorry, making jokes while we're talking about serious issues. But yeah, that's what I thought. I was just going to quickly say, maybe mistaken, but in it, he doesn't help anybody else out, does he? It's him, his wife, maybe a couple of family members. But when he's making, you know, I thought this when Mike was talking, when he's making the deals with the German guards and everything, it's all for him. It's not for everybody else in the camp or in his, um, or where he's staying, is it? Staying on holiday. He does help his friend uh, in Auschwitz, doesn't he? So his friend's got... um, ill-fitting clothes and shoes. That's the only one that I can think of. He yeah, does take care one. of his family more, more though. I mean, but we would. I, I would take of. care of my family yeah. over everybody else. Sorry. I would yeah. be the one <laughs> to rescue them all. It was like when you said, Ray, on um, the podcast I listened to um, recent, uh, recently, I'm trying to remember which one it was, but where you geek. said about, it was geek, yes. And I think you said about with your, your daughter, you tear the whole world down. All these plugs you're giving yourself. <laughs> I mean, that's a bit hurtful. I, I'm I can't sorry. Even remember the name. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I was on it as well. Guys, listen to Geek. It's incredible. It's so good that I listen to it, it basically amazing. every week and forget about it. I mean, the problem is, Paul, you don't put yourself in it enough, do you? That's well, what we've been discussing yeah. on Discord. Yeah. If you were, the, you could be the star of your show. I mean, you know, rather than me trying to be the star of everyone else's show, you could be the star of your own. So uh, <laughs> check out Geek. It's amazing. But it just made me think of what you said, Rhea, about your daughter. You tear the whole world down for her. Yeah, that absolutely. Made funny. Yeah, yeah, but I, I think with Vladek, maybe it was he was nice kind of uh, um, sort of area effect nice, whereas just he wasn't being nice to this person because it was the right thing to do. It, it was a means it was to convenient. an end, usually, wasn't yeah, it? It was either a means to an end or it was convenient or they'd done something for him and he didn't want to owe them or he felt like he did owe them. It was that kind of, oh, oh, by the way, I'm doing this nice thing. Oh, yeah, I know people over there getting shot. So if, you, if you're next to me, you can kind of hear me saying that. So maybe by almost by being in the same area as him, you somewhat get some of his luck-ish. That's what we're Well, but it's not just luck, though, because, I mean, historically, every book I've read about a survivor, um, or fictionalized or real, the survivor survived. Yes, there's an element of luck, but it's usually because of what you guys were saying, is that person had a skill and was willing to do whatever. So there's an excellent and hard, brutal, brutal book. And it's, again, not uplifting in any way, but it's called The Tattooist of Auschwitz. Um, And guess what that's about? And um, that person survives because that person has a skill. That person's job is to put tattoos on the other people. And when you learn that skill, the Germans aren't going to take the time to do it. They need it done. Who's willing to do it? Who has a steady hand and can do it right? and make it legible, and make it last. Oh, this person. Okay, well, so you, that's your job. And so then you parlay that into favors. And we see Vladek do that. He parlays his skills into favors for himself, but mostly for Anya, which is what you would do. And so it's tough because we started by saying it's like, you know, the involvement, the United States just stood and sat on our ass, or watched all this happen for years and then come in and are like, we're the fucking conquering heroes and look at all of Ted Williams quit playing baseball. You, you can't help fight. him by stealth though, like with trade and that. For 100, 100% yeah. true. But as an American, I am pissed at us. Fuck right off. Us. <laughs> Sorry, but it's, you're right. We did. It was all very stealthy. And that's why we ultimately had to get in. Cause everybody's like, you're giving the British shit. And it's true. But the issue for me is that it's different when it's a whole country 
it's your job as a country who has the means. Nobody's saying like, God damn you, New Zealanders. Why didn't you, you know, I mean, it's not that it's not like the Kiwis, what are they going to do? You know, they're too far away. They don't have the means. It's not like they should have come over and, you know, not that there weren't New Zealanders fighting. Sorry, can I, Blake, can I just have a, a, a brief tangent here, Tony? Because I, I mentioned about the, the xenophobia that I grew up with, quite honestly. And one of the massive events that we hold dear here is the Battle of Britain. So that was the, the last, we were the last thing in Europe to conquer. And we really had to bloody put up a sterling fight there. And uh, a, a massive part of it uh, was radar. The fact that we knew where to send the the uh, pilots and everything, but again, this is all this British thing, and you see the guys with all their British Union Jack tattoos and everything, and feel great about being British and sticking it to Johnny Foreigner. So, in there, the the majority of of uh, foreign pilots were from Poland. Second to that was New Zealand. Which is what made you <laughs> sorry. So I picked the wrong. Country. So they were they were in there. They were they were pilots. They were up there. They were giving their lives to protect this country. And it's just it's whitewashed from our history. Unless you go and and really seek it out, it's not something people even acknowledge here. To be honest, that's crazy. See, and that's something I didn't even know. And the reason I picked it was my point was as a country, I wouldn't blame the country of New Zealand for not, you know. But we as Americans, we should have done better. But the difference being like what a country can do versus what a person can do. And so if there were these pilots, these New Zealand pilots who were volunteering and doing, that's what a person could do. So we applaud them and thank them. And they're amazing. Um, and so that's why I think what Vladek does, I don't begrudge anything he does because he's he's a person who's, wor- I mean, his son, you know, was poisoned by a friend of his because she didn't want any, she didn't want him to go to the camp. So she thought she was doing him a mercy. And from what we understand, he probably didn't even know he was given a treat and then he fell asleep and he died. And that was the end of it for him. And that's horrific, but she thought she was doing him a mercy because that's what a person could do because the other countries didn't do because they, you know, like you said, so, so it's, so to me, that's the interesting conversation you get to have too, when you read this book, because it is so personal. And because Vladek isn't a hero, he is an accidental hustler. You guys have said grifter. He's just a guy who happened to survive through his own grit and through luck. Mike, you're totally right. It was lucky. Um, but it was also the fact that we're showing this guy had to go through with this because these other people in power, these other countries, and yes, you're still sending men and women to do it. It's not like America's got like a giant Voltron robot or, you know, who can just come in and stop. Wouldn't that be cool? Like if, if, you know, if Pacific Rim was a thing and we all had these giant robots and that's how, you know, wars were fought, but that's not real. We have to send people to do it, but we had the people to do it. We had the technology to do it. We could have done more sooner and we didn't. And it's always frustrating to me. It's one of the you talk about whitewashing in America, it's like World War II didn't happen until we got involved. And when we were, you and I were talking, Dave, about the Batman reread I'm doing. And that here we are, 39, 40, 41, I'm reading Batman. And there's not nary a mention of anything that's happening in the world. Because in America, we're just pretending it didn't happen. And when I get into volume two, the world exists now because America got involved, Mm. you know? 
there's a joke about if World War II were a bar fight, everybody does all these things. And at the end, America comes in, hits somebody over, hits Germany over the back with the chair and then rifles through their pockets. <laughs> That's, you know, so. Sorry, I just get, I get salty about it because I appreciate Vladek's ability to survive. Um, I, I think I, w- I would like to ask, as all of us who are all, we are all children because we exist. That means we've had parents. Who thinks art's kind of a dick? I raise my hand. Yes, 100%. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he doesn't shy away from the fact he is a real dickhead. But I kind of feel like in order, if he was a true proper dick, right, I don't think he would represent himself how he has done. So I just think, like all of us, he's got the capacity and has been a dick, but has been honest about saying, you know what, there's a bit of a dick there, but I'm going to be honest about that. Now, is that 100%? But I I do think most people who are proper dicks, Donald fucking Trump, right, doesn't even realize, (laughs) has no self-awareness that he's a prize fucking cock. So, so, so that's why I appreciate Art's, you know, acknowledgement that he is at times a bit. What is the prize? Do you think that he wins? That Trump is a prize winning cock? What is the prize? <laughs> biggest, biggest cock of biggest of the of a really big rooster, <laughs> a really, really big rooster. That's all. That's what he gets. Um, I want to add in here regarding that is Art a dick. Um, I didn't get the fact that he was necessarily a dick on the basis that. I think everyone has a degree of a complex with their parents. Um, and I, some of the most horrible things I've ever said have probably been directed at one of my parents at some point. Um, and I regret it. My earliest memory actually is me when I was like four telling my mum I'd rather spend a minute with my brother than an hour with her, which has haunted me since. And it's horrendous. And I remember seeing her cry. And then I said to her, why are you laughing, mum? And then she ran out the room. And that's like one of my core memories that makes me a person. You know, I think if you out. were four, you can cut yourself a little bit of slack. Though. Yeah. yeah. Well, actually, no, I think, no, I think I was six, actually, because I've moved into the house. So I'd moved in one. I was five, so I was five or six, but it's one of my earliest what memories. Dick. I know, it's awful, isn't it? <laughs> it's, it's, it's so in... brutal. It's so brutal. My yeah, toddler it's... turned around to me the other night, just as she was falling asleep. The last words she said to me were, Mummy, I don't like your head. <laughs> I had to live with that for the rest of the night. <laughs> What a dick. Can, can I just, yeah, can I just say all children at some point are dicks? Yeah, all totally. of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But my kind of point, I wasn't just trying to complain and say this traumatic life I've lived, I called my mum a horrible thing once. No, it's it was just one of the things where it was a comparison of, and I've said other, I, as I got older, I tried to say less horrible things to anyone in general. But I think that the worst, at some point, the worst elements of my personality come out at their worst around my mum and my dad now obviously i'm in a slightly different position because my dad's passed away now so the dynamics all kind of shifted but before that all sort of happened especially when i was in my teens the parts of me that i hated the most would come out more frequently when i was arguing with my dad and the parts of me i disliked the most were normally the elements of him i didn't like as much so i think while he probably is was a dick or what is a dick either or i think that he's being very honest as kind of davis pointed out but also i think part of it has to be taken with he is talking to his dad and even though his dad's been through this horrible stuff his dad is still his dad and a comparison is whenever you hear like um famous people in bands or or whatever talk about their kids who just do not respect them at all it's like you know i'm the singer of the world's best-selling band my son doesn't care my son still calls me a dick it's just like (laughs) when you have a parent uh, child relationship 
it can kind of vary how you are and how I am around my parents is not how I like to think the air quotes true me sort of is. That's kind of how I uh, view it in a sense. I think that's a brilliant point to be fair. Um, I've often wondered if we've evolved to be that way, you know, or else if we weren't, if we were never going to challenge our parents and, and people who we've traditionally looked up, we'd still be in the caves and not trying to push the boundaries at all. So I've thought that about, you know, when I was a kid and thinking, oh, you know, you, you go from idolizing your parents to thinking, oh, God, what have you done with your life? You know, and I see it in my kids as well. They, they go through that stage of like, God, why didn't you do this? And, and global warming, that's all your generation's fault and you know, all that stuff. And I think it's, it wasn't me. Um, but I do think, you know, that that is something in everyone. I think we're kind of we've evolved that way to challenge our parents and maybe that's why we're a, a, a little bit worse to them than everyone else and you, you see it throughout the book don't you you can't see my hand movements but I'm trying to do a movement of like a wave so he'll be talking about he'll be talking to his dad about what happened to him and he he says to his dad I cannot believe you went through that I can't believe you survived that that's the most awful thing and then almost the next panel He's like, oh, why are you doing this thing that drives me mad? And it's so he's still got that respect of his of his dad, and he he's coming to terms with everything that he went through. There's still all this other stuff that that goes on, you know. And I I really identify that with some of the stuff that happened in my life. I'm not going to centralize my you know my relationship with my mum, but she went through a really tough time, and I loved her more than anything, and I understood that she was going through a tough time, especially now. But I was also like can you just get your shit together? And that's a real human thing. And to see that on a page and done so well, I mean, against the most horrific thing, my tough time was not the Holocaust. You know, it's, it's so strange that we have all these history lessons, we have all these films, we have all this media about World War II, about the Holocaust, about everything. But it's this book that encapsulates all of that. And yet human relationships with your parents, we've, We've been talking about the book, but we've been talking about so much else. And fuck, that's mind blowing. Like this book is all about the intricacies of human relationships and we can all relate in different ways. It's really fucking clever. I'm two, two glasses of wine down so the swearing's gone up and I'm just basically just going right. to be sat here going, this book is so good. Why doesn't everybody read it? Books, it's so opinions, clever. opinions and alcohol. <laughs> and I'm going to read into this about. thing in it. <laughs> But it's so clever because it's about this really awful thing. But it's about individuals and their relationships. And I don't think you get to see that. You don't get that in TV shows that have like 12 seasons. I don't think you see that told as well as you do in this book, which is, you know, it's hefty. It's massive. But it still, still is only, I need to quickly check, 296 pages. And I could, you know time's really up and i could sit here talking about it for another three hours even longer i want a part two it's got so <laughs> much in it absolutely can i just ask a, a question of of everyone so mike you mentioned about you know there's lots of villains in the book and and i think a lot of the the cats the the nazi guards in particular but what I found interesting was the the normal people, because I think that's something that I've wondered in the past, certainly pre-reading this book. Why didn't more people speak up about this? Why didn't more people hide 
the Jews and what have you. And I think what it does quite well is it, it shows that, well, you were in a pretty precarious position. If you stuck your neck out there, um, you know, you could end up in the camps as well. And, and I just wonder, you know, what everyone thinks about the normal people, the people who weren't Jews, and could they have done more or you know were they would we all be in the same boat if the same thing happened again today would we be in the same boat where it's just like well yeah i could help out but ultimately i I might end up you know with a a bullet against against my temple as well if i may um oh do i say this now pass on to paul um i was gonna say with that i think part of it comes from the 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 people the kind of the everyday people in a sense i think one has to look at it is they were also going through World War Two, or at least the, the lead up to it and stuff. And obviously, the world still wasn't settled then. And my kind of view on it is similar to how we've spoken about Vladek, which is it's it's understandable, but it's not excusable in a sense. Like I, I understand why someone would act like that. I understand why you wouldn't want to stick your neck out for you know this homeless Jew who's just come up to your door and asked for help, and you've said no. Like I understand because. You know, when your entire family killed or thrown in camps, you are probably really poor anyway, you know, living in uh, the country things. Obviously, one of the ways Hitler got to power was because he got Germany out of the recession quicker than almost anyone ever has in history, which I'm not saying that excuses him for anything that he's done. But I'm saying that the situation of the world at the point, the reason the English didn't want to have to get into the war was because everyone was so poor from World War One that we were like, everyone was trying to claw the money back. And I think the everyman was quite poor as well. And so I think a combination of being poor as well as uh, self-preservation and just general humans trying to turn a blind eye to it, you know, just trying to kind of not look at it, you know, look, don't look them straight in the eye and you can kind of avert the gaze and not feel the guilt and so I just think it's, I understand, I would like to think if I, if the situation occurred again, then I would be, you know, opening with open arms, but I'm sure people much smarter than me could say, what about all these other things that are horrible that are happening in the world right now that you're not doing anything about? You know, I, I think this is maybe quoting Tony, you know, every day I choose to not give all my money to people who need it more than me. You know, every, like I'm wearing t-shirts, I've got Lego, I don't need Lego, but I, whenever I choose to buy something for me, that is money that could go to potentially saving someone's life, and it doesn't. So I wonder if maybe I like to think I'm a better person, but if it got to it, maybe I would disappoint myself, if I'm honest. Just a small point, and then I'll, I'll hand it back to everyone else. But, um, I mean, for me, this this book goes further than the Second World War. Tony, you were saying about the Americans only thinking – the Second World War started when when America got involved. But to be honest, the UK are the same. It was 1939 when Germany invaded Poland, but this was going on many years before that. And so, you know, I do think they were dealing with this. And I think it, it's a bit like the boiling frog thing, isn't it? Is everyone familiar with that, where if, if you change the temperature gradually, then the frog doesn't notice and, and ends up dead. Whereas if you throw it into boiling water, it, it jumps straight out. I think, unfortunately, it happened gradually. Uh, uh, people were being taken away to these camps and stuff, I think, before the war. And, and certainly they were having all their rights taken away before then. We may need another three-hour podcast for this. the answer to this question. I, I did wonder. but <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I think I sort of alluded to it earlier as well but i think 
the reality is the human nature is there is a certain amount of at arm's length and you're right it is you know everyone was the damn frog and everything was at arm's length and you've it is it's a continuation of everything that was going on um one of the main reasons hitler rose to power was because germany was absolutely decimated not by the war necessarily but the decisions made by the powers that won to absolutely decimate germany and the countries around it it's mentioned briefly at the beginning but poland was kind of <laughs> tucked between the rock and the hard place with germany on one side russia on the other side and they were afraid of everyone and Poland isn't necessarily known for its open-mindedness in all sorts of ways. So they have their own issues and you just find everything came together in such a way that everyone was just like, okay, I'm not going to do anything. And some people did like everyone played their little part. Some people in a bad way, some people in a good way. There are people who did amazing things could people have done more sure would it have made a difference Does, we'll never know um you know if enough people did more sure but like mike said if the situation happened now you'd like to think that we would act differently but if we were all in the same mindset that they were when it happened would we act differently? Like to think so, but I think the mindset thing is is really key, isn't it? Because everyone had been brainwashed. You, you mentioned there again another great point that Germany were made to feel like the First World War was their fault, and and it was about imperialism, and and it, it didn't even start with with Germany and the UK, did it? It started with. Um, Austria and uh, Austria and Hungary. Uh, it was Serbia, wasn't it? Wasn't it? France, oh, right. Ferdinand? Yeah. Cause they were still yeah, the same yeah. country, right? Austria, Hungary. Yeah, right. yeah. It was, and it was like in our country, World War One is like some guy called Ferdinand gets shot. That's how we're <laughs> taught it. And it's like it wasn't until way later that I actually understood the whole. The, yeah, and again, it's it all about culture clashing and everything and like arbitrary lines on a map. Yeah, and the, the well, the different alliances, and then you know it it became. I think we've eventually got involved because uh, Germany wanted to invade France, and they went through Belgium, who we had an alliance with. So that that's why we got involved. But but basically, the Allies basically made Germany pay dearly for the war, and I think people were just um, you know very very poor but also made to feel like shit you know this is all your fault and and then you've got this charismatic austrian guy who's talking about nationalistic pride and you know giving these great speeches whips people up into a frenzy so I, I, this happened over you know almost a decade wasn't it so if people are conditioned with this information all the time, and and this is what I feel like was quite scary, what was happening stateside, where you saw the same things happening, the discrediting of the press and what they say and everything. It's like, oh, don't believe them. And it was like, hang about, I, I've read about this, but it happened, you know, in the 30s. <laughs> 
Well, I I agree, Paul. There's some great points in there. Um, and I don't know. I, I don't have quite as much faith in humanity, uh, maybe as you. I, I think if in the right set of conditions, I think the average person for self-preservation uh, probably would stand by and you would have those heroes. You, you absolutely would. Um, but I think most of us would would probably stand by, if I'm honest, which is a bit depressing. I, well, I always think... like to ask, sorry, Tony, would you yep, like to go? You go. You you sure? go. Sorry, thank you. I always like to ask random questions to people. Uh, there's a website called Ria's Questions where you can go and see the questions that I've asked, such as what's your favourite type of ice? Um, crushed ice is the answer. Um <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, Ice and a of, martini. <laughs> oh, all right. Maybe that's the one. But one of the uh, sort of questions which every who knows me rolls their eyes at that I ask is because I'm quite into sort of dystopian, uh, post-apocalyptic type stuff is if you're in this situation, you've got three options. You either go along with the bad guys, you become part of the resistance, or you infiltrate the bad guys and work for the good guys. Now, nearly every single time people say, oh, I would be the one who infiltrates and I'll take down the bad guys. But in reality, and I know this because I know exactly what my answer is, I want to be that person, I want to be the hero, but I know if it was to keep myself and the people I love safe, I would shut the fuck up and go along with it. Now, that doesn't sit with my my morals or values at all. I don't believe in it. And I speak up a lot about, about a lot of things that in feminism that affect me, you know, and I... I I'm active in those communities, but I also know that if people turned around and said, oh, this, all of the UK, you are no longer get any access to abortions, sorry, Tony, and that you can snitch on your neighbours, I would be doing what I could to be quiet, be in my house. I wouldn't snitch on somebody, but I would focus on keeping us safe. And that doesn't feel good to think that about myself, but I do think that is most human nature i think the heroes are rare and i think that's where we keep on getting ourselves in these situations and we see it happen over and over again that the brave few are just that they're the brave few and that's really depressing the positive of that is i think there is hard work going on by people over generations and generations and generations to take change and unfortunately it takes a really long time and i can only hope for future generations it's going to get better and we learn but as we've just talked in the last talked about like in the last 100 years we don't seem to have learned any bloody lessons do we and I don't know. I've now just really depressed myself, and I wish I hadn't started this question. (laughs) I'm I'm totally taking the blue pill, to be honest. I am staying in the Matrix. I don't want to know Neo and all the guys. Good luck to you. Um, But I agree. I I think most of us would go for the easy life. And um, But but, uh, to everyone else, which one are you? Well, but I think – but this is what I – this is the thing, though – to go to both the blue pill and the idea that Rhea's saying. I think if your three choices are go along with it, be the hero, be the James Bond, or join the resistance, joining the resistance is the easy thing to do. I'm the resistance. Mm-hmm. I live in Florida. I don't vote for these fucking assholes. I say out loud. I don't go to whomever will listen. I mean, I don't go start a fist fight or anything, but I definitely say out loud. I say to anybody who will listen, this is absurd. This is hypocrisy. I'm actually working on, I was talking to my wife about this before we came in here because the whole abortion 
thing just happened in Texas and now they're going to do it in Florida is like, you know what I think I need to do? I need to redo Leonard Cohen's democracy to hypocrisy is coming to the USA. And I may work on that a little. Uh, Get my Leonard Cohen. Nice. Because <laughs> uh, if I mean, if I was ever going to sing, it would just be talking deeply like Leonard Cohen. But um, or, or William Shatner. He did or Shatner. Well. I love Shatner's album, by the way. I have that. It's amazing. Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Am- Genius. Amazing. Yeah, yeah. The one that he did with Ben Folds, it's called um, Has Been, is so good. Anyway, the um, to me, the resistance is actually easier to do. So maybe, I mean, with with the Matrix reference you make, Dave, sure, to take the... You can take the red pill, but then you don't have to get on. I mean, you don't have to get on the ship. Morpheus is a zealot, right? I mean, you could you learn in the sequels, which everybody seems to hate, which I don't think are as bad as everybody does. There's a whole community. You can just go live there. You don't have to be on the Nebuchadnezzar blowing shit up. You just be like, I'm going to take the red pill. Oh, wait, I can go just live over here and make shoes. Sign me up. Cool. So sometimes the resistance is actually the path of least resistance. You don't have to... Mm be at the front of the fight, but you can stay, you can say no, you cannot participate. And so to me, that is where I am. I'm going to choose to not participate. I, I'm a, I vote with my dollars when there's a company I don't like, I don't buy your shit. There's sports teams I don't follow anymore because I don't agree with their owners. I don't want to watch them. I don't want to give them my advertising money. I don't want to buy their hats and shit. Like, I know that seems silly and petty, but to me, that's all I can do. That's the reason. Yeah. So to me, I think, we were having this conversation in the Discord too about being an advocate. I don't have to get a gun and go kill Nazis or punch Nazis, as Mike wondered if we should punch Nazis. We should punch Nazis. Everybody's favorite bad guy is a Nazi. When you need a Nazi, Nazi. Star Wars, space Nazis. Indiana Jones, Nazis. Nazi, Nazi. You need a Nazi, punch a fucking Nazi. But I don't have to shoot a Nazi to not join the Nazi party, I guess, is where I'm at. So I would say join the resistance, do what you can, be an advocate and make that change happen. Because like you said, change can't happen overnight. But if, but if enough people say, fuck you, I'm not going to sit in the back of the goddamn bus and I'm not going to persecute the person who doesn't want to get up, then, you know, it's, it's almost passivity, but it's still, it's not, you're not, you know, you're also not punching Jews either. So that's my silence. rant, sorry. It's the silence that's the problem then. Okay, that makes mm. me feel better because I'm never going to shut up about equality. So you, we'll just wait for V for Vendetta, everyone, because I am going to fucking go off. I hate <laughs> Margaret Thatcher. By the way, it's going to come a whole lot. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> well, I was going to, um, I would add in quick uh, one thing about the, the question of resistance, spy or whatever. I think also part of it comes down to personal circumstance. Like I've thought before, like if I now wasn't with Megan, I genuinely don't care about losing my life for a cause, which sounds weird to say. And obviously it's easy now for me to say after the fact. So it's kind of a cop-out thing. But like if Vivendera or another Holocaust or whatever happened and I was just me, podcaster, single, I'd give my life for, I'd go join the resistance because I don't care. But now I'm with Megan, I know that if I went and did that, I'd either, she'd either have to come with me and then she'd be at risk. Or if I died, the amount it would cause her pain, is that worth the cause I believe in? Then you think you add kids into that. And obviously, you know, I don't have kids uh, or anything, but like, I imagine it just amplifies things 10 million fold. So I think a part of it as well is circumstance of the individual. And I think morality is a lot more flexible 
mixed with self-preservation because what it's like you see all those films when someone has nothing it's easy to do all these crazy stuff you know you watch john wick which are incredible movies he's lost everything so he doesn't care so you, you can go into a, a warehouse full of 400 people and shoot everyone because you don't care about living anymore and it's kind of darth vader has it in some ways in the comics and other places that's not star wars related but you know what i mean it's just like when you have nothing it's easy to fight for whatever you've got nothing to lose but when you actually have family or friends or whatever that you don't want to lose and the worry is that one's it's very light way of putting it but one's own almost political agenda if it overvalues the safety of your family now we live in sites in our respective countries i think at the moment most of the time we don't have to make that judgment call but i i wouldn't want to be in that position to do that because i'm a you know i'm i'm on the left with almost everything I believe in. But if you said, I have to vote against what I want or someone's going to kill Megan, then I'm going to vote against all my belief system because my love for her is more important than my own value of my own morality and things. And I think that kind of wraps around in this sort of situation as well, uh, which makes it more it's not. It's often not a binary choice as well, though, isn't it? I mean, there, there is... Um... Uh, the the lady whose husband was working away quite often and and was putting up Vladek and and Anya. If you said like, well, if she puts them up and hides them from not only her husband but all the neighbours and everything, but there's a five percent chance that she could be found. But for that five percent, if she is found, well, she could be dragged off as well. Uh, it's that it's not one choice or the other it's weighing up what's the the probability and what's what's the impact and and that that's why i think that's why i think it makes it complicated i i don't blame the people um who didn't do more uh back then i I don't think i I just think it is a bit of self-preservation and like you said mike you know for young single guys probably you know well they're probably off uh joining the resistance or you know the the german army or whatever um but it's the people who've got more factors to consider more responsibilities and i just want to add it i know we're getting near the end i want to add the end of this whole book and things one of the things i think upset me the most about mouse was when i thought oh he's getting out it's arguably the most depressing part is when he gets let out of auschwitz and then he's on those trains and you just think how many people survived auschwitz and all that shit and then the war ends, and then they just left. So, so I can highly recommend if you've never been to the Imperial War Museum, uh, there's one in London, absolutely brilliant. And unfortunately, even when they got let out of the camps, because their bodies had been through so much, they just continued to die, and doctors just couldn't stop it. So, so the people who really survived, you know, I guess if they were a few months down the line, but a lot of them died as well just uh, because they just their bodies just had been punished so much there was no coming back mm. yeah there was quite a few cases um when they came across camps um and they did just didn't know what to do with the people so they basically had to keep the camps running because mm. what do you do with all those people that can't survive for themselves so they kept the camps running kept the people in there fed them mm. but again you've got thousands of people you need to keep supplies running in, and it's not an easy thing to do. They show that in Band of Brothers, don't they, when they go yeah. to the camps and liberate them, and then they have to restrict their food intake 
because yeah. if they eat too much, it's going to kill them. And yeah, and that had been all I'd known of the end. I had this really horrible. Now that I look back at it, sort of like hero type version that people went and liberated the camps and you know kept them running, but you know kept the people alive. And then reading Mouse because I'd never read the end before, and it was no people were literally taken out of the camps and forced to march or go into these trains and then just left. And I, and I, it was just, I thought it somehow, I mean, it's all terrible. It seems so much worse than actually being liberated than soldiers coming and going, you're free now. I just can't get over the brutality of it, of doing that. And just marching and thinking, I thought this was going to be the end, but it isn't. They say we're we're free, but we're still marching. People have still mm. got guns on us. They're still not feeding us. They're still going to kill us. Mm. Just that's the hardest part of the book for me. And, and I felt it really built up to that. There's the bit when he talks about, oh, you know, and then they went and then they did this and they made us take our clothes off and they made us do this and then they made us do that. And the tension as it just goes up and up and up and then all of a sudden they're leaving the camp and you think, oh, is the tension going to come down? And it doesn't. And you've got to sit there for it, which felt like a hundred more pages, but I don't think it is. I think it's actually quite short. I think it's something like five or 10 pages and it's just unbelievable. And what amazing writing to keep, to keep that tension and to make you think Mm. it's going to be over and it's not. The train part was the worst part for me, if me completely yeah. honest. That that train scenario when he was in there and they're just crammed in there for just weeks, that all days and then it became weeks. That for me was the hardest part because you can blame the Holocaust on in a in a real simple black and white way. You go, Holocaust, Nazis, evil. Kind of the reason this horrible stuff's happening because people are evil, you know, which is a very simple way of looking at it. But then you've just got the kind of the purgatory almost. The purgatory after Auschwitz is worse. Because now you're not waiting for the war to be over. It is over. So what are you waiting for? Mm. That th- no salvation can come. That's the probably most heartbreaking thing. You lose the hope of the end of the tunnel because you get out there and it's worse. Yeah. We're going to start wrapping up soon, but I want to throw it out there. If there are any points that anyone's got they want to raise before we go into our kind of final thoughts. My final thought is, we could do this. We could hit record again with the same five people and we'd have a totally different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, it's that's the most important thing about this book. If you've not read it, if you're on the fence about reading it, you've listened to this. If you're unsure, if you've got a teenager, get this book in their hands. If you've got a Holocaust denier, get this book in their hands. If, if, if you just know a person who wants to know something, get this book in their hands. And, because then you can have, you could listen to us and then you go have a totally different conversation with those people than what we've just had. And I mean, for real, like we'll probably continue this on after everybody listens on discord, we'll talk about it more with, with the other, you know, 10 people from the group who aren't here. And, um, you know, so for me, I, I, that's, that's my final point is I, I really wish we did. I mean, Paul, you said we could do a whole three hours just for that one question for sure. Um, but that's what, that's why it's good. That's why it's important too. Good literature allows you to do that. Yeah, I think the best thing that this book does is that it just makes you talk. It leaves a lot of things open and it leaves a lot of things there for conversation. Um, it doesn't tie everything up. There are always questions and that's kind of the point. There are questions about this whole thing and everyone needs to keep asking them. Awesome. Mike? 
Uh, I don't really have anything else to add for once <laughs> without starting another three-hour conversation. Yeah. So I'm just going to say, yeah. I agree with you guys. It opens a dialogue. And I think the one thing we can do to try and prevent another Holocaust-like situation happening is people talking, having an open dialogue about relatively everything. And in theory, one would hope that the goodness of people overcomes the stupidity and ignorance of horrible ideas that cause this sort of thing. So that's my kind of view. Just people need to keep talking about it. Goodness and education as well, I think, isn't it? It's yeah. learning the lessons of history properly. Yeah, I don't hate stupidity. I hate ignorance, especially when it's self-inflicted ignorance. Yeah. You, know, you meet stupid people who are lovely, but if you meet someone who's actively ignorant, they're the kind of racists and bigots, the pieces of shit that you don't want in your life. You meet a dumb person who doesn't really know a few things about science, but they're nice. I've got a hundred more of those people than a genius <laughs> who's a bigot. So, Yeah. Rhea, how about yourself? Uh, not really too much more to add. I, you know, I loathe to leave you white men with the last word, so I will say something, um, <laughs> <laughs> which is just that I, it's a really important book. And having read it through halfway and given up because it was too depressing, reading it through all the way at 38 years old, God, this is coming out much deeper than I expected, but it's going to stay with me. And I think that's really special. And I think that's really unusual. And I think it's a, a piece of art that should be on everybody's agenda. Agenda is not the right word, but, you know, I think it should be an education. I think adults should educate themselves to read it. I think we should educate young people to read it. You know, it's probably going to be the other way around. It'll be young people telling us, can you just read mouse? Because you're all fucking it up. And I just think it's such a special and important piece of work. Awesome. Well, my final point, it's funny you talk about a bunch of white blokes finishing off because there were two pieces of art or two bits of the book where I just had to stop. And actually one of them was around Anya because you could kind of see after the birth of the first child, she was, she kind of had a menopausal, oh, oh she had a postnatal depression. Clearly they never called it out as that. And then it's something she clearly struggled with in her life. But I don't know if you can see that. I took a, a snap of it. That panel, I just thought was absolutely fantastic. The way it was put there about all the things, you know, she was trying, he was trying to imagine that his mum was going through all, all these things and whatever. And I thought hers was a, a particularly tragic story that wasn't necessarily the focus but you know she went through a lot and i just think it's tragic the other bit where i had to stop was uh, this bit this isn't very good for a podcast but this is talking about the uh children in uh in the camps and there's talk they're talking about the children screaming and then you can see the german soldiers kind of throw them against the wall and it just says and they never anymore screamed kind of a bit of yoda speak it gets me every time i just think again you think about what actually happened uh, it's horrendous so yeah completely agree guys let's not leave it on a on a sour note which is kind of difficult with a book like this let's go for some plugs so ria where can everyone get you 
Yes, so I am very lucky to now be part of the Comics in Motion family. So I'm going to try and weasel my way into more and more things because I love chatting all this geek stuff because you're all amazing. Um, you can mostly hear me with Jack and Tony as the Pop Gorillas. Pop, 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 pop Gorillas. Oh, God, I've had wine. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and I'm really looking forward to doing Indie Comic Spotlight with Tony as well coming up. I'm very excited. And Tony, I got our, our reading. I don't want to spoil what it is. I got it in hard copy because I'm a traditionalist. Ooh. I'm sorry. I had to. Um, so that's me. Oh, and I guess I should do my at Rhea Carrigan on Twitter, which is R-I-A-C-A-R-R-O-G-A-N. Uh, so find me there. Awesome. Well, I'm going to go in the order. So I'm going to go to Tony next. Oh, sure. Yep. So I'm also here on the Comics in Motion Network and Indie Comics Spotlight is making a change where we're doing, I'm going to have Rhea and Jack as kind of permanent co-hosts with then rotating hosts, rotating guests now and again, just for consistency of life schedule. Um, So that's going to be helpful. Uh, Mike is going to come back on again. I know we're going to keep our Mark Russell thing going. Hopefully Paul will be back on. I still want to have everybody from the family back on. Believe it or not, the mouth of Manchester has agreed to come on in October to do The Crow. So I'm very excited. Don't forget Scalped. He's still on the hook to do Scalped. If I can get him to do Crow, (laughs) that's going to be very exciting because you're going to do a double feature. And then Jack and I do Seasons Greetings where we just dropped Angel Season 1 and Rhea will be on the... the, uh, close out episode of that like she was on Buffy too. So that is where I'm at. And I am on Twitter at Tricycle Boombox and my website is arfarina.com. And if you are looking for a young adult uh, reimagining of Mansfield Park and you're an agent, you should find me because I've got one. There's my big plug. <laughs> awesome. Paul? Hello. Um, yes, you can find me on Comics Emotion on the Superheroes for Dummies show, um, which will be coming out either every other week or monthly we'll see how it goes um you can also find me on geek on the fantastic universes podcast feed where i talk to lots of lovely people including all of these lovely people uh on twitter you can find me at paul damac p-a-u-l-d-a-m-a-c and if you're end of any doubt of any of the rubbish that i've spouted go to superdummy.co.uk and everything's on there awesome and last but certainly not least mike the longest plug ever. Uh, first of all, I was going to say, uh, we're going to wrap up in uh, five minutes. I've got, so I've got four <laughs> and a half minutes to plug. Is that what you're saying, Dave? Let's get it down. First off, I want to say, go listen to Geek because I'm a terrible friend and podcaster for, for, for forgetting the Rhea's story on Geek. So I wanna, I've want i been feeling guilty about that, reading a Holocaust book and being guilty that I didn't plug my friend's podcast. So thanks for that, Paul. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah, check out Geek. It's sick. Um, it's like genuine chit chat, but you don't have the host constantly interrupting people all the time. Um, <laughs> that was a good. Yeah, bit yours would only be five minutes long, wouldn't it, Mike? <laughs> my, mine wouldn't start if you listen to the first like twenty-five episodes of genuine chit chat. I don't think you can even tell where the guest is. There. <laughs> the guest asks me questions. <laughs> uh, four years in, and I still haven't learned. Um, yeah, so you can catch my Star Wars show if you want to hear. If you most of the talking you've heard me do, if you want to hear that with no other people for about an hour or a time, and only about Star Wars. I've got the show for you. Star Wars comics in canon. If you've never read a Star Wars comic in your life, or if you've read every Star Wars comic in your life, which I'd be very impressed because there's a fucking load of them. uh, If either way, check out Star Wars comics in canon because I tackle a huge variety of topics and things. um, Well, I say topics. All Star Wars comics that are canon. 
<laughs> Paul's making me laugh while I'm trying to plug. <laughs> um, yeah, so the Star Wars uh, comics are canon. You don't have to read a single Star Wars comic to enjoy it. I go through the story uh, and stuff and do all the connections there. That's found on the Comics in Motion feed. I uh, episodes out every Saturday. I occasionally do book reviews and stuff on there. Um, all, and your, my flagship show, Genuine Chits Chat. Um, I have a different guest on the show uh, every episode. Um, uh, the next episode that's coming out, which will probably be around the week or so that this is out, is going to be with Jack. Uh, so we talk about movies for like two hours. So I split that into two. Um, I've had all these lovely people except Rhea, because um, she is still a lovely person, but she's not been on the show yet. I was actually going to message you after this. I've actually written down notes to ask you for when I get you on my show. So yeah, genuine chit chat. I speak to loads of people, not just podcasters. Uh, I've had... Uh, puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal on. I've had the author, Claudia Gray on. Uh, I've got a lot of other cool individuals lined up. I've had musicians on, Professor Elemental, lots of things. If you just like a little bit of everything and can't quite decide what to listen to, listen to Genuine Chit Chat because you'll find something. And uh, yeah, thank you guys for letting me verbally waterboard all of you for yeah. this conversation. <laughs> That's why I'm dipping out of the next one because I just want to not be the main talker every fucking time. <laughs> you missed the, uh, the pastor from the Church of Satan. That, that was oh, a guy you chatted it. to yeah, as well. Bill M, the magister of the church. I'm, I'm going to try and email him again. I want to have him on again just for <laughs> redo, you know. But yeah, I spoke to magister of the church or a magister of the church of Satan as well, which is episode 52 because I plug it so much. So check that out. Very good. Well, I want to thank you all because it's been fantastic. It's been exactly what I'd hoped it would would be. Where we've got lots of opinions, and again, I'm pretty sure we could do three more episodes, same group, same book, and we'd fill it with all these different talking points. You can get myself on Fridays on the TV and movie show here on Comics in Motion. And before I let you go, guys, we have to announce what the next book club is going to be. Now Mouse has been discussed in depth, it falls to me to introduce next month's pick. So, without further ado, remember, remember the 5th of November, the gunpowder treason and plot. I know of no reason why the gunpowder treason should ever be forgot. Voila! No? Not even a vague clue? You need further elaboration? Well... Just in time for the annual celebration, we have a veritably valuable volume of voluptuous verbiage and visuals. Let me vindicate this choice of veracity. I vow without vanity that EV reader, new and old of this valorous graphic volume, will for vindicate it and understand the virtue of this choice. Therefore, it is my very good honour to voraciously visit upon you. V for Vendetta. Famous! I don't know if I was impressed by that or slightly insulted. <laughs> Just in a little way. Just the amount of effort he put into that. Was so, <laughs> I know it was quoted for me at Vendetta, but it was just, his stuff just makes me feel like an absolute hack. <laughs> <laughs> so Rhea, as Jack always had the, uh, you know, thespian uh, tendencies, the way, the way he delivered that. I mean, he's clearly a show-off, isn't he? Yeah. He's always been a bit of a show-off. He's my older brother, so I get to say that. The, the file was called Take 11. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe you just did that to him. That's uh, brutal. <laughs> no, honestly, uh, another fantastic book. Uh, obviously, Alan Moore there. And uh, I can't the original wait writer, one. I believe, is, is how it's listed. Is he so, not on that one? Is it? I, um, oh, maybe because you guys have the British edition. Remember, DC got their mitts on it over here. I'm pretty sure it was sure a Vertigo release over here. It. 
Nice. All right, so, that's fair. Yeah. Has he been? Has he just been removed from everything he's ever done? Because obviously, I know about Miracle Man, which cracked me up when I got that. But yeah, just like, he hates. He hates everybody. He yeah. hates. I mean, yeah. Anyway, we won't go. We'll talk about that next time. Sorry. Yeah. No problem. Well, I can't wait. And guys, thank you again. I'm going to go because my dog needs to go outside. (laughs) (laughs) And guys, I shall speak to you next time. Bye. Bye. See you later.